This e-multiple sclerosis review program is presented by DKB Med Radio. What we have come to understand in recent years is that the burden of MS in non-white individuals is actually higher than previously thought. Previously, it was thought as a European or white predominant disease, and we were finding that that is inaccurate. The effects of race slash ethnicity on multiple sclerosis diagnosis and treatment. Welcome to E-Multiple Sclerosis Review. The data show the incidence of MS among non-white Americans has grown significantly. How accurately do clinicians consider an MS diagnosis in their Black and Hispanic patients? How aware are they of the differences in disease severity and disability progression between their white and non-white patients? How should they educate all their patients to understand and better manage their disease? To address some of these questions, we're joined today by Dr. Yuji Wong from the University of Washington and Dr. Kamistian Harrison, a postdoctorate fellow at the Johns Hopkins University School of Medicine. For our guest disclosures and additional CME information, please go to our website, emsreview.org, and select the Volume 4, Issue 12 link. I'm Bob Busker, Managing Editor of E-Multiple Sclerosis Review. Dr. Harrison, Dr. Wong, thank you both for joining us today. It's my pleasure to be here with you guys. It's great to be here with you, Bob. We've got a lot to talk about, so let's jump right in with our first learning objective, discuss the impact of race and ethnicity on MS severity and disease course. So take us to the clinic, if you would please, Dr. Harrison, and start us out with a patient scenario. So a 45-year-old Black American man presents to your clinic to establish care for a recent diagnosis of MS. He was recently hospitalized for an episode of transverse myelitis. He recovered only partially with some residual bladder dysfunction. And his MRI showed characteristic MS lesions in his brain, as well as numerous lesions in his cervical and thoracic spinal cord. He would like to discuss his new MS diagnosis and has questions about his prognosis. He's African-American, newly diagnosed with MS, and wants to know what to expect from his disease. How would you approach him on this initial visit, doctor? So the first visit is to establish rapport, review the detailed neurologic history, imaging, and confirm the diagnosis of MS. It's very important to first gauge the patient's understanding of MS. Everyone starts at different levels, and this just helps frame all the future discussions. I also like to review the pathophysiology of MS, different phenotypes, and disease course. That seems like a lot of information to cover in a single visit. How in-depth would you expect to go? So yeah, that is a lot of information to cover, and the details should be tailored to the patient based on their individual circumstances. We'll get into those specifics a little bit later. Let's assume you've tailored the details specifically for this patient. What would your next step be? So I tackle the patient's question regarding the prognosis next, and this is a tricky one. We don't have a crystal ball in medicine, but we do have some data that help us gauge which patients are at lower risk and which patients are at higher risk for more severe disease or have higher risk of progressive disease course. This allows for a more personalized approach to treating patients with MS. Thank you, Dr. Harrison. Dr. Wong, talk to us about that available data. What kinds of information should the clinician look at to help establish a patient's risk? 
I think it's really difficult to gauge each individual patient's specific risk, but there are certain factors in a patient that we can look at. For example, there are modifiable factors and then there are non-modifiable factors. Some examples of modifiable risk factors include things such as cigarette smoking and cardiovascular disease, which are both associated with worse disability in MS. On the other hand, there are, of course, non-modifiable risk factors, including one's age and race or ethnicity that have been shown to be associated with certain level of disability in MS. For example, presenting at a younger age or presenting with a non-white race is associated with higher risk of disability in MS. There are also other things to consider. There are disease-specific risk factors, for example, severity and recovery from MS relapses, how frequently the relapses happen, and these features are associated with worse disability in MS. There are also certain imaging features, which we'll talk about later, such as higher burden of MS lesions and presence of infratentorial or spinal cord lesions that are associated with worse disability. It's a whole lot of information. What I try to do is I try to emphasize that there's not one single factor that impacts a person's prognosis, but rather it's a combination of various factors, including some that we have yet to identify or understand. You've mentioned race and ethnicity as non-modifiable risk factors, and that gets right to the heart of our learning objective for this case. So tell us more, if you would please, Dr. Wong about how race and ethnicity can affect the course of an individual's MS. This is definitely a newer area of interest and one that has unfortunately been traditionally lacking in understanding and not just MS, but basically all areas of medicine. There's some specifics to note here. The term race accounts for physical appearance such as skin color and may concern biological differences in disease such as phenotypes and genotypes. On the other hand, the term ethnicity accounts for societal factors influenced by cultural, language, and social differences. So they are linked, but not exactly the same. What makes this so complicated is that race and ethnicity are not only biological constructs, but they are societal constructs. Therefore, they're confounded by many, many factors, including self-identification, admixture of genetic heritage, among others. What we have come to understand in recent years is that the burden of MS in non-white individuals is actually higher than previously thought. Previously, it was thought as a European or white predominant disease, and we were finding that that is inaccurate. There's data from several multi-ethnic populations within the United States over the past couple of decades demonstrating that patients with MS who are of non-white race, including Black or African-American individuals and Hispanic or Latino individuals, are at higher risk of worse disease burden or clinical progression. We need to recognize that and work on understanding that better to provide more equitable medical care for all of our patients with MS. What do we know about the reasons for these differences, doctor? Bob, that is a really difficult question to answer. And I think part of it is because a lot of it remains not well understood, unfortunately. There may be certain genetic or epigenetic factors that contribute to differences in disease presentation and disease course in MS. However, that is not everything. It is also important to recognize that there are socioeconomic status systemic racism and healthcare access issues, as well as other social determinants of health 
that all play important roles for these differences. Well, thank you, Dr. Wong. Uh, Dr. Harrison, I want to turn back to you now. With a patient like the middle-aged African-American man that you've brought us in this case, how do you broach these kinds of topics? And what role do the patient's responses play in your treatment decision-making? So being transparent about what we know as well as what we don't yet know or understand is vital. Though specific DMTs are out of the scope of this podcast, generally it's important to review with the patient treatment option recommendations, why specific treatments are recommended, whether due to efficacy or ease of administration or other, and make sure the patient is comfortable with the treatment plan. If there are concerns about the treatment plan or there are so-called adherence concerns that come up during the course of the patient's treatment, it's important to assess the reasons for these and making sure not to forget cultural and societal factors that may be at play. It's also important to review the patient's social history and see if there's any areas where interventions can be made, such as access to services or other supportive measures. Thank you, Dr. Harrison and Dr. Wong, for bringing us this case. Let's summarize our conversation as it applies to our learning objective, which is to discuss the impact of race and ethnicity on MS severity and disease course. Uh, Dr. Harrison, what are the key things our listeners should take away from our discussion? So first, we want to recognize that MS presentation and disease course can differ between different races and ethnicities. Second, it's important to understand that there is emerging evidence that non-white individuals with MS have higher risk of severe disease or disease progression than those of white race. Third, we also need to recognize that this is the first step in improving our understanding of these differences, which may be a combination of intrinsic as well as external and societal factors. And fourth and finally, the overall goal is equitable medical treatment of all patients with MS. Thank you, doctors. And we'll return with Dr. Wong and Dr. Harrison in just a moment. I want to take a brief time out here to ask all our listeners a simple question about your CME CEU credits. Do you have all you need? Because it's not too late to access the credits still available without charge from eMultiple Sclerosis Review. Whether you need to know more about how to develop effective shared decision-making or better understand the clinical challenges of managing special populations like pediatric or aging MS patients, or increase your ability to personalize DMT selection to a patient's specific needs, you can connect to expert clinical advice and analysis on the eMultiple Sclerosis Review website. Just go to emsreview.org and choose the newsletters and podcasts that interest you. All our MS programs are accredited for nurses as well as physicians and are provided without charge to access or to obtain credit. And if you're listening to us on iTunes or whichever service you get your podcasts and webcasts, please rate and review us. Because the more listeners we have, the more programs we can provide. Thank you. And now back to our program. Welcome back. Our guests today are Dr. Yuji Wong from the University of Washington and Dr. Kamistian Harrison, a neuroimmunology fellow at the Johns Hopkins University School of Medicine. We've been talking about the impact of race and ethnicity on MS severity and disease course. Let's turn now to our second learning objective. Describe the impact of race and ethnicity on imaging findings in MS. Uh, so if you would please, Dr. Wong, take us back to the clinic with another patient scenario. Sure thing, Bob. 
In this scenario, it's a 55-year-old Black American woman who presents for follow-up at your MS clinic. She has had MS for 20 years, initially presenting with optic neuritis. She has had a number of relapses over the years and now uses a walker for walking. Over the last few years, she has noticed gradual decline in both her walking as well as cognition. She would like to review the follow-up testing that has been done to track her disease, including MRIs and eye exams. This gradual decline you've described, how common do you find that among the patients you see? For patients with long-standing MS, such as this one, it is quite common to see the residual deficits or disability that have accumulated from past relapses or from disease progression. A proportion of patients who initially presented with relapsing remitting MS do progress to secondary progressive MS phenotype, where patients report exactly as this one has in terms of decline in either her walking and or her cognitive difficulties over time. She wants you to review her follow-up testing. What's that all likely to include? Good question, Bob. There is a lot that goes into follow-up testing and tracking patients over time as the disease progresses. Longitudinal follow-up neurological exams are very important in tracking patient function over time. This includes the normal physical exam that a neurologist does, but also can include certain objective measures as well. For example, the commonly used time 25-foot walking speed. Another measure we use is the MRI. We use MRIs of the brain and spinal cord, and these are vital in monitoring disease activity. This helps to assess for accumulation of disease burden in white matter lesions, the presence of enhancement or active lesions or inflammation, as well as atrophy over time. Increasingly, though not widely available yet, we have quantitative MRI data. This includes global and regional volumetric analyses, and these are being incorporated into radiology evaluations and clinical care for our patients. Besides the MRI, another objective measure we can use is called optical coherence tomography. This helps to assess optic nerve and retina. This is very important in people with MS, and this can be not only helpful in monitoring of optic neuritis and recovery from it, but also monitoring of MS disease progression over time. Thank you, Dr. Wong. Uh, Dr. Harrison, talk to us about the MRI data. What are the metrics, and specific to our learning objective, what role does race and ethnicity play? So to answer your first question, there are various MRI metrics that we can use to track disease progression. This includes lesion burden, gray matter, and cortical atrophy, as well as regional atrophy, spinal cord atrophy, and others. There's emerging data from researchers at Johns Hopkins that people with MS who are of non-white race, such as Black or African Americans, have worse MRI metrics, such as cortical atrophy and whole brain volume regional brain volumes, as well as greater MS lesion burden. What about optical coherence tomography? Are there race and ethnicity differences found in OCT? Yeah, so similarly, the Hopkins group has shown that people with MS who are Black or African American demonstrate faster rates of optic nerve atrophy than their white counterparts. Do we know what accounts for these differences? So unfortunately, we don't really know. 
most likely this is multifactorial and including perhaps disease-specific pathologies that vary between people of different races and ethnicities that contributes to the MS disease severity or progression. And also it's important, as we previously discussed with the first case, that there's a big impact of social determinants of health, such as socioeconomic status, systemic racism, healthcare access, among others, that may impact health outcomes in our patients. Thank you, Dr. Harrison. I want to turn now to you, Dr. Wong, because I want to refocus on our patient, a 55-year-old Black woman. How would you use this testing information in your discussion with her? Good question, Bob. If you have the longitudinal data available for the patient, including neurological exam over time, perhaps including some objective measures like the time walking test we discussed, updated MRI information and eye exam information, it's very helpful to review how that has changed or perhaps has not changed over time for each individual patient. This is important because we are actually moving more and more toward personalized medicine or precision medicine. And with our advanced technologies available to our patients today, we have found that many of our patients are very interested in such personalized data. It is very important when you show the data that you review what that data means, whether the data shows their features of progression of the disease and decline as noted by the patient themselves. The patient is, of course, very interested in reasons for the possible decline or progression, and this can help to review with the patient too. This includes reviewing the non-modifiable factors that we talked about, such as age and race or ethnicity, but also potentially modifiable factors that the patient themselves can work on. Ultimately, this discussion can help set the stage for identifying points of intervention or improvement in the patient's care. Thank you, Dr. Wong. Dr. Harrison, that discussion with the patient Dr. Wong's been describing, take us a little deeper into that, if you would, please. So if there's been a decline in the patient's walking, you want to know whether there are any contributing reasons to that, such as pain that's not optimally controlled, deconditioning, and even poorly fitting shoes or a cane or walker can limit the functioning. This is an opportunity to explore areas of intervention and connect patients with physical therapists, orthotic and equipment specialists, and rehabilitation specialists to help optimize their functioning. So for patients who have had longstanding MS, sometimes it's been a long time since these areas have been re-evaluated, which is important to reassess as you go on. Also, like we've talked about with social aspects of care and healthcare access, it's not just making these referrals to specialists, but also making sure that the patient has transportation available, funding to be able to obtain the equipment necessary. And if there are other limitations there, are local, regional, and national organizations that can help support patients, such as the National MS Society. Well, doctors, thank you both for bringing us this case and discussion. Let's wrap things up by returning to our learning objective, focusing on the impact of race and ethnicity on imaging findings in MS. Dr. Wong, what are the most important things our listeners should take away from our conversation? So firstly, it's important to recognize that MRI metrics of MS disease activity or progression can differ between races. Secondly, it's important to understand that there is emerging evidence that Black or African-Americans have increased white matter lesion burden as well as brain and spinal cord atrophy compared to white Americans with MS. 
recognizing this is a first step in improving our understanding of these differences, which may be a combination of intrinsic as well as external or societal factors. And lastly, it's important to recognize that these differences can help with monitoring of disease activity in MS, as well as monitoring of disease progression in MS. Dr. Kamistian Harrison from the Johns Hopkins University School of Medicine, Dr. Yuji Wong from the University of Washington, thank you both for joining us in today's E-Multiple Sclerosis Review Podcast. Thanks for having us, Bob. It was great talking with you today, Bob. Thank you. For E-Multiple Sclerosis Review, I'm Bob Busker. To receive CME credit for this activity, please take the post-test at emultiplesclerosisreview.dkbmed.com. E-Multiple Sclerosis Review is supported by educational grants from Bristol-Myers Squibb, Novartis Pharmaceuticals Corporation, and Sanofi Genzyme. The opinions and recommendations expressed by faculty and other experts whose input is included in this program are their own. This enduring material is produced for educational purposes only. E-Multiple Sclerosis Review is copyright, with all rights reserved, by DKB Med, LLC. Thank you for listening.